Okay, this next area that we're going to be going into is ministering to sexual abuse victims. Now, the reason we're going to talk about it is not everybody here is a sexual abuse victim, but we may have some people here. Not everybody is here is married to a sexual abuse victim, but sometimes people can be married to a sexual abuse victim. <clears throat> Not everybody has children who are sexual abuse victims. I explained last night, I thought for years my children weren't sexual abuse victims until I found out one of them had been raped at 16 and another one had been molested by a foster child we had. So, but I didn't realize that. And so, sometimes we have children or grandchildren who could be sexual abuse victims so I want to just bring a little understanding. Plus, we talked about those statistics. Remember last night at how many children are sexually abused? How many adults um, are, have been sexual abuse victims? So I want, to, I want to cover a little bit about it. Again, we can't go into every area, but I just want to talk a little bit about it. The one thing that I find for a sexual abuse victim to get on the other side related to forgiveness. Now, one of the things we all have to really get, forgiveness does not say what was done was okay. Okay? Forgiveness is simply saying, you created a huge debt in my life. You stole my innocence. You stole my no. You stole my ability to set boundaries. You created a big debt but I'm going to forgive that debt because I want the Lord to bring healing into my life. And Lord, you will be the judge of this, okay? Forgiveness does not also mean that you have to establish trust. It's like when you're dealing with a married couple and there's been an affair and the wife or the husband decides, I'm going to forgive this and the other spouse is mad. Well, why is he always checking up on me? She's checking my phone. He's checking, you know, everything I do. He's spying on my e emails, whatever. I thought he forgave me. Okay? Forgiveness is forgiveness. Rebuilding trust is a whole different story. Okay? So even if you forgive the person who abused you, doesn't mean you have to put yourself back in that arena of abuse, okay? Because forgiveness and trust, and people have to make restitution, and if you've had unfaithfulness in your marriage, you better get on board with restitution, okay? Because restitution is, yes, you can check my phone anytime. Restitution is, yes, if I'm going to be late coming home from work, I'm going to call you. Yes, instead of being mad and irritated about it because, well, I thought you forgave me. Then why are you on my back all the time? She's, she's just trying to, or he's just trying to restore trust. Because you can't have true intimacy without trust. And when trust is violated, it has to be restored, okay? Now, sometimes it can, can come quicker and sometimes take longer. But know that process has to happen, okay? So... Five fa uh, phases of forgiveness. Now, the first one always usually comes in this order is number one. You're on, you are on page, we're back at page 10 for you. I'm so sorry about these notes, but it is what it is. So 
The first one is usually the perpetrator. That is the person who, or persons who victimized, okay? Who abused, who molested, who raped, that is the perpetrator. And usually, sometimes it will take a while. I mean, I've had people like, I don't know if I can ever forgive them. And it doesn't just, this is not for you to sit down with someone and say, okay, let's forgive the perpetrator. Let's just forgive those who didn't protect you and just check off the list, okay? Because usually it's an emotional process too. It's, it's first your will, it's your confession, it's your choice that you are going to forgive. That's where it starts and then it works to that deeper level. But you can't just look at it because sometimes people might be stuck on forgiving the perpetrator for a year or years or whatever. So you can't just check off the list. But I'm talking about when you know someone has got all the way there. And so sometimes when you're ministering to them, when they come in, your job is to start them to forgive the perpetrator. Sometimes they really have done that, but they haven't moved on to the next one, which is the protectors. And the protectors are the ones who should have known, who should have protected, who should have realized the symptoms. Like my daughter, she had to get to the place of really forgiving me and her dad, because why didn't you know? You should have known, but I didn't know. I mean, I was a counselor even at that time, and I didn't know. I knew she was shut down in some areas. I knew, you know, some different things, but I did not know that she had been molested, okay? And so she had to work through forgiving me, forgiving her dad, even forgiving her sister, even though a lot of times her sister tried to prevent it. And then her sister had to forgive me and her dad because she was trying to protect her. And, and again, she didn't feel like we did. So the protectors are all, always very important. And when we're forgiving the protectors, see, the child doesn't logically process, okay, mom had to go to work. She didn't know dad was abusing me. You know, or she didn't know when she, every time she dropped me off at grandpa's, grandpa would fondle me. When he took me to ice cream, he was really fondling me on the way there and on the way back. She doesn't, she didn't know that. But the child is still wanting that adult to be the one who knew and protected. And sometimes children will kind of let off certain ores and things, and they think that you should be able to read that. And sometimes you just think, oh, they're being moody, oh, they're having a bad day, or whatever. And so um, I'm going to talk about repressed uh, memories in a little bit. But my niece, I told you a bunch of different family members that had things, but my niece, actually, through my first marriage, my um, ex-husband's sister's daughter, long story, we were very estranged. I had seen her once when she was two years old, and then she came to my daughter's wedding, and she had a radical experience with the Lord, got born again, went home, came, packed up, and came back down to live. She was going to live with our daughter for a little while, and then, long story short, she ended up finally living with my husband and I, and she had a lot of very unusual triggers and symptoms, things that would just trigger very but if you asked her did anyone ever abuse you anyone no not 
Her dad was a cop, okay? He was a police officer. No, I never had anything happen. No connection. Totally repressed memories, okay? And she lived with my husband and I for probably about a year and a half or so, maybe a little longer, where she started getting safe enough, okay? And the memories started coming back in flashes and in dreams. And pretty soon, well, long story short, she had been molested from the time she was five to nine. And people right across the street, her best friend's family, so she wanted to be over there with her friend. And sometimes she wanted to protect her friend from being molested, so she allowed him to molest. Not only molested by the father, but the father the wife, and the brother. Okay, horrendous. Now, it was so horrendous, it didn't come back all at once. And she had, as a child, had all these OCD irritating things, and the family would just be frustrated with her. Okay? And so, again, when she was working through that, she, and again, can you imagine your father being a police officer and the neighbor is abusing you? And the only way it stopped is this family moved. Okay, and it stopped. And so as the memories came back, she really had to work through. And it was, she ha always, she never understood, but she always kind of had this love-hate relationship with her mom. Loved her mom, but hated her at the same time and didn't know why. Well, as she had to work through, she had to really forgive her mom for not knowing, not recognizing something's wrong not sending her out, go over the next door and go play with your friend, okay? And then she would be molested. And um, one of the, I mean, she had some very, one of her triggers, which is really bad in Daytona Beach, because one thing we have is sand, 26 miles of beach and sand, okay? One of the things our family loves to do is go to the beach, do to different things at the beach. She would get, she would try to go, she would want to go, but she would get triggered by the end of the day all the time, okay? And why? When we came to the memories, the reason she was triggered is this, these people had been working and remodeling their house, and a lot of times there was sawdust around. And sometimes the kids would be playing and there'd be sawdust in the bed. So anything that felt grainy, gritty, dirty, she would be triggered. But it was all connected to the memory, okay? The other thing is she had clown trigger. She, she did not want to see a clown. She didn't want to go to the circus. Um, my, one of my daughters had a clown collection. She had to pack it all up and put away. Cause, and sometimes it would be like, really, what is with you? Because again, on the surface, nothing had ever really happened to her. Okay? And so when her memories started coming back, finally one of the memories came. It was the first time this guy molested her. She was five years old. She was spending the night with her little friend. And she must have, she was either coming downstairs to get a drink, go to the bathroom, maybe wanting to go home, something. And he was on the couch, and he was watching the Stephen King thriller movie about clowns. I don't know if any of you have seen it. You're all probably good Christian people who never saw it, but I've never seen it. But it's a demonic, scary movie about clowns. And he had her sit next to him while that movie was going on and molested her. So every one of her triggers strange things. I could tell you all kinds of stories, but all once all the memories and everything came back, made sense. But she had to really forgive her dad, who was a police officer who didn't protect her, her mom who would send her over to play. 
You know, you have to forgive those people, the teachers, maybe the neighbors. And this also is related to many times physical abuse. Sometimes people say, the neighbors had to know. My family had to know. My grandparents had to know. You know, they had to know. And so we have to go through and forgive those protectors. And then usually there's an element of self. I don't care how young a child many times that I should have told somebody, you know, I should have been strong enough. I shouldn't have let them do it. I should have yelled. I should have all of those things. So they have to forgive themselves. And then sometimes there's another layer because God created our bodies for stimul to be stimulated and to respond. And so sometimes in the abuse, sometimes the body responds to it. And then they're mad at themselves because why did, why did my body respond? There's something wrong with me. I'm bad. But their bodies were made to respond to certain stimulation. But they usually have to work through that and really be able to forgive themselves. Okay? Now, sometimes perpetrator and number two are usually the top two. These next three, they're kind of intermingled sometimes. And then again, they have to forgive God. God, why didn't you intervene? God, why didn't you stop it? God. And then you have to work through because especially when it was a child that was sexually abused, they have a child theology that just God is big and he, you know, and God is big. But also in the earth, God works through people. And if there wasn't anybody's heart around them or anybody with discernment around them to recognize, then God's kind of blocked sometimes from putting a stop to some things. Not that he wouldn't want to, okay, but that because how, how's he going to get to this? And so they've got to forgive God. And then they have to get over that God didn't just hand, hand pick them for this. They, like I said, they have to get their theology right. They just have a child's theology, and they have to begin to have a theology that aligns with God's word and how he works, Okay. And then they have to forgive the re-victimizers because there's many times maybe sexual abuse victims don't speak up. And so husband can re-victimize, a wife can re-victimize a man, um, boyfriends, girlfriends, all, just a whole bunch of different places where they can be re-victimized, okay? And sometimes because people know, and then sometimes because people know, but they don't understand how deep this wounding goes and what it really does. And so they just want to say, well, you know, well, just forgive. That was back then. That's not me. Forgive. Get on with it. Okay. And so they've got to, and I said in the, the notes that that is easier all said than done, and it may take time, might not always follow that exact order, but we have to forgive. Okay. And what I always say, like, if that doorway back there, if forgiveness was the door, but healing was in the coffee shop, okay, I could swing that door all day long and say, you know, I forgive that man. I forgive that, that, that family member. I forgive. I forgive my mother. And I could just swing that door all day long. But it, that door is to get me to another place, which is called the healing presence of God. I can't get to that healing presence without forgiveness because he knows it's not good for me. 
but when I go through that door of forgiveness, but a lot of times people stop short at the door. Well, I forgive them why I healed. Well, I've forgiven, but I've got to get into that healing presence of the Lord to let him really heal me. Amen. And so um, our job is to help them, them come to that place but, and to help them walk through forgiveness. And it's very difficult at times, um, but they can get there. So the other thing that I wanted to say is um, in your notes, it says, why now? And I wrote a worn out stuffer. So let me explain what I mean by that. There's a lot of, um, again, women and men. I don't want to just make this a women thing because it's not. There are a lot of men who have been sexually abused, seriously sexually abused. Ser I just ministered to a, an ex-terrorist, and he had been sexually, the, the, the Muslim culture can be very perverted in the sense of, um, a lot of the leaders and stuff, there's a, a rampant, hidden, homosexual thing going on, even though homosexuality is so spoken against. But um, he started being sexually abused by some of the mullahs and different things at a, at a very, very, very young age. Okay? And um, so, but thought that he was all okay until then got older and was dealing things. He's a really amazing man of God now, speaks all over the world. He's incredible. Um, but what I call your stuffer being worn out is a lot of times when you're younger, you have more emotional energy, you're busy, you're pursuing careers and college and relationships and marriage and babies. And then all of a sudden by late 40s, 50s, 60s, that's when now all of this stuff and in marriages it can really mess you up because it's like well maybe we didn't have a great sex life but we had one you know and now the woman is saying i know i we, we've had sex and stuff but now i i want to take a knife to him if he touches me again i want to kill him you know and and they're like what what happened what happened well what happened was now those memories are really surfacing, body memories, different things. And now, again, they start dealing with it. So a lot of people don't really deal with these things until sometimes they don't, the memories don't come back. Even with um, disassociation, most people who have DID, they're misdiagnosed for years and they never really get true ministry until they're in, again, kind of that late 40s, 50s, 60s, before they really identify that they're, you know, have different personalities and different things like that because they have the emotional energy to keep it all going, okay? So if, you know, if you come across that, don't think it's unusual. It's, a, it's very, very, very normal. The other thing is when you're working with people, and this is for anybody's here, is you have to normalize symptoms. What I always tell people is, They'll say, well, I'm dealing with this, and I'm dealing with that. And I'll, and I'll say, you know, that's very normal. Now, what you went through was not normal, okay? That was not a normal thing to happen. But what you're experiencing now is very normal, okay? It's very normal to have body memories. It's very normal to sometimes have to work through sexual issues because of it. It's very normal. Any sexual abuse victim, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, um, ha 
has issues with boundaries. You know, let's just go there now. Um, anybody who has been sexually abused have trouble with boundaries. That's why a lot of times in a marriage it is like, well, I know she was sexually abused, but she never said no. Okay? Why? Her no had been robbed. Her no had been robbed, and you didn't help give it back to her. Okay? You just thought because she didn't say no, it was okay. Okay? And so, one of the greatest things you can give, uh, the gift that you can give a sexual abuse victim is to give them back their no. And I promise they very quickly learn to say yes. But if you never give them the ability to say no, they never really can give you the gift of yes. Okay? And it, it's something that's very important. So boundaries... And that, this is why people don't un understand. When, when boundaries are, are taken back is one or two things will happen. If you have, you can have a, I don't know how much problem you have with prostitution here, but in Daytona Beach, we have a lot of problem with prostitution. So you can have the prostitute on the corner and probably, I would say 99% of them have been abused, okay? High majority. So they have no boundaries. They let people do anything to them. They do anything, no boundaries. But that's a boundary issue. On the other side of the spectrum, you go over here, and guess what? I set a boundary, and I'm very frigid. I, I won't get in touch with my sexuality. I'm very dissociated from my sexuality. Um, sometimes even homosexuality can come from I'm setting a boundary because I'm not going to allow myself to be abused by a man or by a woman, whatever. Not all of it is that. We'll talk. We can talk more about that. But that it sometimes can be a boundary. Well, a wall. Okay. So either extreme can be, and then some people will go. They'll jump from back and forth. Um, in church, one of the biggest problems you have with people is a lot of them. They go back and forth. They don't have any boundaries. They can't say, no, Pastor, I really can't do that for you because I've got this and this. They don't have it. They'll do everything. I used to always say when we got one in church, now this was facetious. Okay, I was only teasing. But I'd, you'd get a no-boundary person and full of performance. And sometimes I would say to my husband, if we could just leave them this way before we minister to them for a little bit, we could get a lot done around here, you know? Because no boundaries, won't say, and highly high performance, okay? But we would always have to heal them, okay? And then they could set boundaries and say no and all of that kind of stuff and get healthy. <sighs> but, you know, it's still better in the long run. But so they're over here. And so a lot of people do this. They don't have any boundaries. And then they, they just can't say no, do everything and all of that. And then what happens? They put up a wall because they can't live like that, so they, all they know is to put up a wall, and the wall is, I'm going to leave the church. Or I might show up, but I'm, I'm not doing anything. And they put up the wall. And then they get lonely behind the wall, and sometimes they get bored behind the wall, and then their only thing that they can do is run back here, over here with no boundaries, and they do that for a while and get burned out again and go put up a wall. And then they go try to find another church, and they... You know, and then they have to put up a wall with that church. Really, divorce is a, a boundary issue because what happens is finally 
you didn't respect my boundaries, didn't respect my, you didn't hear my boundaries, I couldn't set boundaries, and pretty soon what do I do? I put up a wall. It's called divorce. Okay? Might be separation first, but then it's divorce. Okay? Because it's really about boundaries. And so we're not supposed to live on either side of those spectrum, but we're supposed to be able to have healthy boundaries. Okay? Not put up walls. Not, not have any boundaries, but to be able to I always draw it on a board like a dotted line where we say, okay, you can treat me like that, but you can't treat me like that. I'm going to put a boundary. You can talk to me like that, but no, you're not talking to me like that. I can put up a, a boundary, okay? And so sexual abuse victims have to learn they can have boundaries. They need to learn how to enforce boundaries. And sometimes in the beginning, they're a little messy with their boundaries, Okay, but the greatest gift you can give them is to begin to respect their boundaries. When I'm working with a sexual abuse victim, I never just, you know, and a lot of times we're in church and we have sexual abuse victims around us and we grab them and hug them, even though their body language is saying, don't touch me. And so you want to say and give them permission to say, is it okay if I hug you? Yes, hug them. Okay? Sometimes you know people aren't, but sometimes you can just tell they're a little, and we think we're just going to squeeze them into being unawkward, not when they're triggered by that touch. Okay? And so we've got to ask, is that, so if I'm working with a sexual abuse victim, I'm going to always ask her, is it okay if I lay hands on you? Okay. If, is it okay you're done with your session? Is it okay if I give you a hug today? And they know, they can totally tell me no. And I'm fine with it. doesn't mean I'm going to reject them or anything because I want them to be able, I'm going to respect their boundaries, okay? And so it's really a gift that we can give people is to allow them to have boundaries where they don't have to put up walls, okay, or f otherwise feel violated. So anytime you're dealing with a sexual abuse victim, that is something that they have to learn to do. Um, the other thing, I want to I talk to you about a thing that I call the silent scream, okay? It's in your book. All energy, um, according to all of the great minds of the world, can only be converted, right? It doesn't dissipate. It just gets converted into some other kind of energy. So what has happened many times when someone has been abused there is energy that should have been a natural release that never was released, okay? So they should have been able maybe to scream no or stop or help or I hate you or something. And all of that repressed energy is inside. Many times they're unable to project their voice. Sometimes they have what I call a small voice. They can just get barely get a past the whisper. Usually they've had trauma, and the trauma has gripped their vocal cords. I'm not saying this isn't always. I'm saying a lot of times they're not able to project, okay, because the trauma has encapsulated the vocal cords. So when I'm working with a sexual abuse victim and I can feel that and I know they're ready for it, what we will do is we will come to a place where we go back to one of those places of trauma and we release what I call the silent scream. It's silent inside. That's why, like, if you've got a 
wife. She's been sexually abused. She's never dealt with that. Her body and her everything is screaming no all the time. So we got to get that no out so she can say yes. But the no is encapsulated, okay? And so what we do, it doesn't have to be a hard thing. Heather, can I grab you for a second? Okay, Heather, Heather knows this. I'm going to just have you sit here for a second. Heather does a lot of work in this kind of arena. And so let's say I'm saying, I just feel like you, there's something in you that really wanted to scream that day. You really want, and, and I might say, what would you, if, would you have just screamed? What, was there a word? Was there something? What would you have wanted to say? So, so give me a phrase. What would you have wanted to say? What's happening to me? What has happened to me? So you w would want to scream that when it was happening? Or would, oh, oh, you were asking me. I'm saying uh, something really bad, okay? Would you, and you either wanted to get them to stop or get something or scream. So what, stop, stop. Okay, so what I would pray. And a lot of times, like the first God say, what we're going to do is I want you to get back to that point, back to what was happening, and we're going to get that scream out. We're going to count to three, and we're going to do it. You don't have to do it alone. I'm going to do it with you. Okay. So here's what we do. One, two, three. Stop! Well, sometimes nothing, or sometimes they're like, I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then we'll say, okay, that was good. Let's just try to get, get, get a little bit more here. Sometimes it may take a few times before the fullness. And usually once the fullness comes out, they break and they begin to cry. Okay? Usually. Because many sexual abuse victims, someone is told, it's being done in a place, it's being done in the bedroom while mom's in the kitchen. It's being done, you know, somewhere where they, they can't make any noise or they're told if they tell somebody, if they make a noise, they're going to be in trouble. And so, and then we're going to do it again. Okay, let's do it again. Okay, one, two, three. Stop! Okay, okay, let's get in touch. I mean, really, get down there. Get to that energy, okay? We're going to do it again, okay? One, two, three. Stop! Okay, they get it out, and like I said, <coughs> excuse me, I don't need to mess up my throat. Okay, thank you, Heather. Um, many times afterwards, they begin to just begin to break, and they begin to cry afterwards. There's something released, because they're taking that stored energy, and they're getting it out. And once they do that, it's just amazing how, how much it helps. Now, you may not have... It, someone to do that with or you could find someone if you say I think that might be me and and sometimes you can just do it with the Lord I say I don't care if you go get in your car drive down the road and get it out I I, I was with my my daughter and uh, son-in-law were going through some things and um, I had picked up the kids and there all kinds of tension at home and stuff and we got in the car and I, I know how to just get people released so they were in the car they were pretty young and I said I don't know about you but I just feel like screaming after all that well you feel like screaming they're like yeah we feel like screaming okay so I said well let's scream so we just I said I'll grandma count to three and let's just scream so we just counted to three and we just screamed down the road for a while ah you know God gave us that sometimes a really good yell is a good thing okay and just get it out okay 
And so when that happens, a lot of times there's a really, a, a, a really good release. Um, again, you can recognize it sometimes by just feeling it or discerning it. And sometimes, again, their voice is very low volume and um, sometimes barely above a whisper. And it's amazing how I've had people who ended up on worship teams after getting free because they finally had a release of their vocal cords and things, and they were able to um, get on a worship team afterwards. Okay, a really good um, book on boundaries is by Cloud and Townsend, great book, got workbooks and everything. Now, I want to talk real quick about the two sides of the victim mentality. Um, if I had a coin in your country, there would be something on one side and something on the other, right? Okay, what's on one side? Head, and what's on the other? Tail. So we do heads and tails too. So it's two sides. Here's two sides of the victim coin. First side, and everybody, not everybody starts here, but usually this is it. I'm going to be a victim. Someone's going to mistreat me. I feel helpless. I have self-pity. That's the victim coin. But if you flip that victim coin over, and a lot of times people think when they flip that coin over, they're no longer a victim. And this is the flip side of that coin is nobody's going to mess with me. They will quickly, they will end jobs, marriages, family relationships, friendships. They'll leave churches because nobody's going to treat me like that. And they think it's not being a victim. It's, it is. It's just the flip side of the coin. And so we help, have to help them. They're still using victim currency, but it's not the helpless victim. It is the I'm not putting up with anything victim, you know. And so a lot of times, you know, they can get in a marriage, and before you know it, I'm out of here. He's, I'm not being treated like that. Nobody's going to do that to me. But it's flip side of the same coin. They're still operating as a victim. And I always say, Jesus always wants to come for that coin because he has a victor's coin for us. He has a victor's coin for us. And he's like, come on, give me that coin because I've got this currency for you. And that currency can help you stand in something and saying, hey, maybe this person isn't treating me perfectly or maybe my boss isn't just doing right by me, but I still have spiritual authority. I still, I can speak into this. I can still work on setting boundaries. Maybe my husband wasn't a perfect, most loving person, but I can still be a victor in the midst of it, and I can see this through. Now, there are sometimes, I know sometimes God will just say, look, you need to leave that situation because it is so too abusive for you. You need to move out. But it's not done out of your own. I'm not putting up with anything anymore, okay? And so we have to learn, and I've seen many situations when I chose to be a victor that maybe they weren't right, maybe even a little abusive in some areas, just see it all switched when I stood in there as a victor, okay? And so it's really important when we're, if you have been or what, if you were sexually abused or things, be careful you're not operating in your life from that flip side of that victim coin, Okay? Because it's very important to get to godly currency because we, will, we won't respond appropriately. Okay? Does that make sense?
Uh, the other thing that I have, I have down is uh, about planted memories, okay? And I've got it in big and bold. Do not do this, okay? What do I mean by planted memories, okay? I mean, you have well-meaning, prophetic people praying for somebody, and out of the blue, they say, I see you were used in satanic ritual abuse. I see your father molested you. I see. Don't go there, okay? Even if you feel like God shows, I have sometimes people come from ministry and I feel like God shows me things, but I know it's my job to help along the way to bring revelation of that. It is not bad because you can, I had a lady one time, she came all the way from Switzerland to meet with me. And she was a satanic ritual abuse person. Now, I've ministered to satanic ritual abuse. I know it happens. I know it's real. But when I began to work with her, I couldn't find any substance anywhere. It was very unusual. And as things came, as I started exploring deeper and deeper, she didn't have any sense of body memory. She never had any, she had never any awakening. She had never, she didn't have any triggers that you could really connect to dot to. And when I finally got to it, I said, well, how did you come to the belief and understanding? Well, I had these two ladies pray for me and they saw it in the spirit. You want to talk about having a problem? Because now she also had the claim to fame that she was a, and it, she was a woman who needed some attention. And now I'm having to try to take it away from her, and she's mad at me. Because I'm saying, I'm not having a witness to this. I think, could this be some things that are planted? And you can't get healing for something that never happened. Okay? And so that was quite the thing, because she, she, I realized she wanted to hang on to it. <laughs> because she wasn't like, Oh, really? Praise the Lord. You know, I've been carrying something I don't need to carry because I don't believe it ever happened to her. I believe it was planted memories, and that can happen. I've worked with several people who have had planted memories, and you want to be very careful as a prophetic person not to plant memories in somebody. Now, I can confirm a memory. Someone finally gets to a memory, and I'll say, you know, I really felt like the Lord showed me that when I first started meeting you. But I'm not going to bring it out of the blue and plop it on their plate. Okay, so we have to be careful of that. Okay, and we've got to be able also to recognize if that's something that has happened in somebody. The other thing is related to symptoms, body symptoms, but no memory. One of the things they say is that the body doesn't lie. The body can't lie. So many times people don't have these kind of memories, conscious memories, but they will feel body pain. They might, we talked about some of the trauma symptoms that you can have. They feel things in their body. I've worked with people who very much uh, been traumatized sexually, different things, and sometimes they will, their body will just start bleeding, okay? Because the body is going through, especially when memories are starting to come back, they'll have, actually, their body will start bleeding at times. Because the body, the body doesn't lie, okay? And so let's say someone gets really triggered um, because 
feeling the weight of someone's body on them. They're very triggered. They want to push them off. They feel suffocated, all of that. Usually that means that something happened. They may not have full memory of it yet. And repressed memories are a real thing. They are real. And I will tell you this. My husband um, wasn't until he was about 60. And he had some things that I kind of recognize were sexual abuse symptoms. And one of the things is a lot of times when it happens young, they dissociate. And sometimes their memory of their childhood, they don't have a good. And he, I would say, well, you know, can't you name all your teachers from first grade to, to no, I don't even remember some of their faces. Or just different things. He didn't remember. And, and there were a few other things. And he would say sometimes when we would be counseling, especially a man who was a sexual abuse victim, that sometimes he would just identify with some of those things. No memory. Now, his brother, older brother, had gotten really sick, passed away. And guess what? It was safe enough. Memories came back. He had memories of his older brother. And I always say he had a love-hate relationship with his brother. But he had memories, finally came back, of his brother sexually. He was six years older than him. So he was probably about maybe 13, 14. And he was um, 9, 10 in there. And so it made then perfect sense why he had such a gap in his memory. Okay? And brought him into a whole new level of freedom too. So I've been around people and I've ministered to a lot of people and it's real. Okay. And you say, well, how could they not know? Because the mind, God has made our mind so amazing. But I always say what caused you to survive your childhood most of the time won't allow you to thrive as an adult. It might've been your survival skill Disassociation might have been your survival skill. Isolation might have been your survival skill. Repressed memories might have been your survival skill, but it will not cause you to thrive as an adult. And so we have to learn to put away, you know, the Bible says put away childish things, okay? So sometimes we got to put away, you know, that getting mad and throwing a temper tantrum. And it might have helped you survive and get what you want or get what you needed, but it won't cause you to thrive as an adult. And so if you have areas where you feel like your life or relationships or marriage or what work or whatever isn't thriving, you've got to go to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, show me where I am using survival skills or defense mechanisms from childhood to make it and show me what that needs to look like as an adult okay, in maturity. So um, the other thing that uh, usually when you're working with a sexual abuse victim is always, if they're married, their spouse needs to understand it. In my book, I've got a chapter that says, help, I'm married to a sexual abuse victim. Because if you don't understand that, thank God I'm a person that really understands boundaries, respects boundaries. And a lot of times, except my husband didn't have a lot of those boundaries. And, um, but I would set them for him a lot of times to help him set the boundary. But it was amazing. I love it now because before I could say, I could say something ridiculous like, um, you know, he just gets home. He's just showered. He's just resting. Now, I never, I wouldn't do this, but I knew I could have. I could have said, 
hey, I need you to go. I need you to go out. I got this whole list here. I need you to get it. And he's just, and he'd have gone. Okay, now a lot of times I said the boundary foreman didn't ask, but I knew he would. And I knew he was really getting healed because I've had him sometimes just really say no to me. I'll say something, which I think is even pretty good to say. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that tonight. I might, I'll do, I might do it tomorrow, but I'm not doing that tonight. And I'm like, part of me is, oh, <laughs> but good. It's good. Good, honey. You know, good. So he got, he, he got that no back. But spouses need to understand what's going on. It needs... Many times spouses never tell the other spouse. I, just so you know, I've dealt with a lot of people. They're in their 40s, 50s, 60s. I had two people come in in their marriage, problems in their sexual relationships, everything. They were in their like late 50s. Both of them had been sexually abused, and neither one of them ever, ever told the other one. So it had infected, affected everything for all those years. But they have to understand... How do, you, how do you recognize triggers? How do you know when this is really a trigger from something else and to be able to go back and minister to it? How do you allow, again, when you've had a husband, he had sex on demand for 20 years, even though she might have hated every minute of it. She's going to be a good, dutiful wife. And now you're working with her, setting boundaries and different things. And now she's saying, no, I, I just don't feel like it tonight. She's never said no, okay? But they've got to understand why it's so important for them to hear that and how as we reset, again, her no's will turn into more yeses if we can reset it. Sometimes I tell couples when they come and work, especially uh, DIDs, sexual abuse, real trauma-related um, areas, I, I explain it to them like this. Your marriage has been going down this really kind of rocky, bumpy, curvy road. It's not been really smooth, has it? No. Okay, that road right there, I'm going to tear up for a while. You know how when they tear up, you guys know about torn up roads here, right? When they tear up that road, you can't go down it for a while. I said, so there's some things you might not be able to go down right now because I'm going to tear up this road. Because you cannot process trauma with a sexual abuse victim that's so horrendous you can barely imagine it could have happened. And then her go skipping home that night and you have sex on demand. Okay, this doesn't work that way. They're human beings, okay? And so a lot of times I say, look. And, and sometimes when I'm talking to them about their wife being able to set boundaries and resetting it, I might say, we really want to get her to the place that instead of you pressing demanding that she able she is able to say I, I really want to I really want this and they look at me like I'm totally nuts that I've lost my mind I've had them say if I don't press my wife she will never want sex okay but you know what we were designed for it God created us for it and if we allow the healing to come I've never seen, I've seen sometimes it's turned around so fast, I'm shocked, okay? I'm amazed. It's like already, wow, it doesn't have to take a long time. Once you allow that reset to happen and they know they are really loved and cared about and that they, them, the very essence of them is more valuable than your sexual satisfaction, okay? 
Now, one thing that sexual abuse victims do, um, they have a soul battle a lot of times. And that soul battle is that they, um, I don't think that's maybe not in your notes, but um, they want affection and relationship without without sex. Okay? So the soul battle is I really wanted to be loved, to have affection and all of that without it leading to sex, without being abused. Okay? Especially when the abuse was by a family member. And so in the marriage then, they're always trying to demand give me affection, just hug me, just sit with me, just love me. But if it moves to sex, ooh, I'm out of here, okay? And you have to help them begin to understand that's not normal in a marriage relationship. You've got to lay that soul battle down. And when I say a soul, a lot of times our souls get into battles. And so it can be just a simple thing is say, soul, you lost. As a child, you did not get daddy to just love you purely and just give you pure affection or grandpa or uncle or brother or whoever it is you lost but we're going to give this battle to the lord you know from now on that battle is the lord i have to lay this down and so then they can allow and have an understanding that it is i mean it is it is a child and irrational viewpoint that i'm going to be a married to a man and i'm always going to demand hugging holding proximity but I'm always telling them no 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 okay and there's nothing like I said that we should be ashamed about the, the thing about it is everybody healing in the body of Christ is not a luxury it's a responsibility okay so it doesn't mean yes you may have had the worst things in the world ever happen to you you just can't stay there now, does sometimes you need help getting out of there? Yes, but you have to seek it. You just can't stop there. You have to keep moving through to get healed. And sometimes there's almost like a demand, again, that soul demand, I'm going to sit right here, and I'm just going to demand that God does this sovereign healing. I'm not going to process anything with anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to do any trauma work. I'm not going to get any ministry. I'm not going to release forgiveness. I just want this to go away. I don't want to be like this. Instead of saying, I have a responsibility to press into healing and work through, I cannot make these, un, these, these soulish demands because they're not, they're not healthy. It's not mature. Okay, and so we've got to help them lay down any soul battles. Um, okay, we're in your book uh, talking a little bit about repressed memories. I already shared some about my um, niece. It says a definition of repressed memories. Memories that have been unconsciously blocked due to the memory being associated with a high level of stress or trauma. A repressed memory serves to protect us from the trauma and stress levels from the incident that was experienced. I always remind people, I promise you, there will be a bottom to your pain. Sometimes people feel like, I'm never going to get to the bottom. There's a bottom. 
Like I said, I've taken, I mean, you, you can't even describe some of the things I have heard. I mean, kids tortured, used in pornography by their parents, um, combinations of physical and sexual abuse all at the same time, demonic rituals, impregnant by family members, uh, multiple abortions. And I'm talking, these are kids young along the way. I mean, I can't even, like I said, fully describe some of the things that I've heard. And you know what? Some of them are the most amazing people today because they were, some of them were, had so much pain, they were fractured into 40 different pieces. Okay? Totally fractured. Some of them not knowing what the other one was doing just to make it through life. And you see total integration, and they get to the bottom of the pain. Okay? And when they get to the bottom of the pain, but so many people are afraid to start the journey because if they start the journey, they're never going to get to the bottom. But you will. Amen? You will. You will. You will get to the bottom. Um, so sometimes, like I said, repressed memories might come back in dreams, body triggers, body memories, flashes, sometimes similar settings. What happens a lot of times is they have children, and when children start getting to the age of when they were abused, their memories start coming back. They've had them repressed, but let's say they were abused at 12. Their daughter gets into that 12-year mark. What happens? Memories start coming back, okay? Um, so some of the steps of, of towards healing are, is again, you those first memories start coming back, and then there's, there's like a grieving period. They're grieving because look at this whole area of my life. I haven't known what was wrong with me. I couldn't fix myself. Grieving for what happened to them. There's, a, there's major grief. They also need to find someone trusted who can help walk through. And you know what? I always tell churches is, you know, it's great to raise up a healing arm of, of the church, but it's also good just to have people. Like, for, like what I do, I have a number of churches and ministries I am a resource person for. But they know, don't send me your everyday variety, okay? Send me the worst of the worst. That's why I've got that expertise. So send, send me those. Don't send me, you know, don't send me mama didn't love me, okay? Send me the really, you know, really traumatic, bad, really bad. And they know that. And so I know if they're referring someone, this is bad. And this is, they've probably gone through a lot, but haven't been able to fully get them free. And so, but we, you have to find someone. And I always encourage every church and ministry, find those resources. It doesn't mean you have to fix everything, but you really want to know and find some trusted people who you know will minister to them, not just natural, not just natural psychological counsel, not just medicate them, but really bring spiritual and expertise to the healing. You want to know you have someone. There's, you know, some people we can, this sounds terrible, but we can let people practice on. Okay? We do. We do a lot of practice in ministry, don't we? We And it's okay. And we kind of allow that with each other. And we hope that prayer works or they hope 
you know, their Sozo training works or their Elijah House training or their RTF. And, and we get better on it by practicing. But there are some people you don't want to let people practice on. Okay. They've, they've already gone through enough. They need to have someone with the expertise to really be able to handle. And there is nothing wrong with referring somebody somewhere. Okay, it's the best thing. And if someone refers you, it's not always they just want you to get off their plate. It's because they want you to have the best care possible. Okay, so you want to be able to do that. And then sometimes you have to start and it's layers. You start at this layer and you work through this layer and you work through that layer. And a lot of times in the layered place, people are like, I just want this over with. I just want to be healed. I want to be done. But sometimes it doesn't go that way and it takes a process. You will, but I always say you're done really is this. Here's done in the body of Christ. Done is I have fallen in love with my healer. Okay? Catherine, come here a second. She's Jesus. Okay. This has broken me. Before I'm going, just finish it. Get it done. I just want to be healed. Then when I turn to the place of, you're amazing. You love me. I love these healing moments. And then we start walking together. And I just want to walk with her or Jesus. And it's just so wonderful that I don't really care. And now I'm kind of getting a little nervous. Maybe I'm going to be so healed that I don't, we might not have those special moments together. That's what you want to get to, okay? Because when you get there, you're just enjoying the healing journey, okay? And I understand why when the pain is so much or the dysfunction is so much, you want to do that. But the best thing that you can do is just fall in love with your healer and just enjoy those healing moments when he heals you. You know, I've had a lot of healing in my life now over the years. I've had a, a journey. But there are some times it's like, oh, I hope there's something left. Because it's so amazing when I have that healing experience with him and he shows me, oh, here, Kathy, this is why you're so triggered and this is why you did that. That right there, I just want to heal that right now. And I get to have that healing moment with him. I just fall in love with him more and more. I really, I don't care if it's a day I'm come, he comes for me and I'm getting one more thing healed. It's okay. It's okay. And I, like I said, I know when you're in a lot of pain, that's hard to believe. But that's the place we want to get to is being in absolute love with our healer. And to know that he will never, if you will continue to work with him, he will never stop bringing healing into your life. Amen? And then we have to learn that there is life after sexual abuse. There is marriage relationships. There's being able to deal with your uh, triggering. Uh, there's a great book in it. It's called Miss America by Day. And she was one of our Miss Americas. And she had total repressed memories of all the sexual abuse by her father. She had no idea she had been sexually molested. And it wasn't until after she was Miss America, and again, she was at kind of that older age, memories started surfacing. And so she had created a day child and a night child. And the day child went to school performance-orientated, very successful, straight A's, everything great. 
and the night child held all the memories. And it's really a fascinating book of, of her journey. Okay, where are we at? Uh, I think this is a good, good place to stop. So let me give you just a couple more things. If you are someone who has been sexually abused and you've never talked it out or walked it out, now you may be a member of this church, you can go to your pastors and say, look, this seminar stirred this up. What would you recommend? Who would you recommend? Get some help. You may go to a church in another place or something. Raise your hand. Find out if there's some healing ministries in the area. Go. Say, look, do you have experience with this? Get help. Because a lot of times it doesn't just fix itself. Okay? We need help. We've got some places where we've been extremely abused and we've got places that we just need some help to get healed. And there's no shame to that. You know, the only thing is we do have to respons take responsibility. We can't just live in an unhealed state, be in an unhealed state, and expect the world to dance around that. It's our responsibility to get healed, okay? And so um, let's go eat. How does that sound? Okay, Catherine, yes. And um, we're going to be back at what time? 7 o'clock, Pastor? Okay, when, you come, when we come back, we're going to be talking about sexual addictions. It's going to be one of the main part and a couple other little things. Okay? The Sexual Wholeness Seminar was an incredible weekend that brought up a lot of topics. If you feel the seminar affected you personally, then please talk to your life group leader or a pastor in the church. Otherwise, there's a list of approved counsellors appearing on the screen that you can contact.